Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, live from the podcast studio at Grocery Shop 2019. We are here to discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that are shaping the evolution of retail. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, Drabango. Drabango partners with retailers to eliminate lines and save people time. You can learn more about checkout free technology at drabango.com. And Listener. Listener powers transactions and better checkout experiences across the customer journey with the most advanced ultrasonic technology. Visit lisnr.com for more information. All right, we are now here. I think this is our third podcast from the show, and we are excited because we are turning our spotlight on David Moran, the co-founder and chairman of Eversight. David, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a blast. How's the show going for you so far? Uh, it's been a little busy. <laughs> when did you fly in? Uh, I came in Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Yeah, and it's been kind of chock-a-block since then. How have you been spending the days? Um, I normally try really, really hard to get into the sessions because the content's so good on the show. I think that's probably distinctive amongst the, the trade shows in the industry that the content here is probably the strongest. This time it's been back-to-back 30-minute meetings. Really? So I'm really happy to chat with you and I haven't actually seen a single, single thing yet. Oh, no way. You Sorry, haven't seen yeah. anything yet. Sorry. Yeah, but I, I will, I, I will, I will because the, the, obviously the, the content's great. Um, I'll sneak out a little bit later, but so far it's been, been a little bit intense. Anything you're looking forward to? Um, in terms of the content and speaking, um, I, obviously I love seeing my customers speak uh, mm-hmm. and, and hearing what's on their mind and it's always fun. Um, and so I'd say probably that. So I, unfortunately, I missed one this morning. Sorry, oh, we, we won't tell. Yeah, we, more yeah. Sorry, Mike. Don't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, what's your what's your kind of take on? I mean, second year grocery shop yeah. disruption in the grocery industry. Kind of, what's your just general overall take on everything going on there? So it's such an exciting time in retail generally. I'm not the first one to say that, but um, you know, grocery is sort of an interesting one in that um, one the retail apocalypse uh, wasn't true to begin with. But it's certainly not true here, right? So if you think about it, like all-time high consumer confidence, same-store sales, at like in you know decade high. Like this is an industry on fire. And when I think of sort of the Amazon Whole Foods as an instigator, it was sort of perfect because um, it's enough of a proof point of decimating other retail verticals that you can't ignore it. It's not even a shot across the bow. This is, it's not winter is coming. This is like, you know, there's zombies now through an ice wall. And, <laughs> the tipping you know, point. Yeah, yeah like, right. They're here, Malcolm guys. Gladwell, we've gone um, over that edge. And, and so it galvanized a bunch of action, and yet their impact isn't really that material yet. And so it's sort of this interesting world where if you look at an online grocery, um, depending on whatever stat you're going to go to, it's actually really small. Tiny. If it's defined yeah. as like, you know, I order something on the internet and the box comes to my house. But if you look at the majority of grocery trips now touch a digital asset on the path to purchase, so all of it's online. And the opportunity to revitalize and, and transform is happening with a huge tailwind on consumer spending, with a real credible threat that's also not actually doing so much damage yet. So it's, it's, interesting, it's interesting to watch what's happening. I think it's fun. Yeah, oh, we could not agree more. I think that's why, exactly why we do this, exactly why we love this show, this show, Shop Talk, all the shows. I mean, kind of make our living at trade shows too in a lot of ways. Well, so how does Eversight fit into all that? So what is Eversight sure. specifically for our listeners? Um, so we are a uh, startup um, that does uh, AI-powered experimentation around price and promo, and we serve both brands and retailers uh, when we do so. So um, at the core, if you look at the way pricing decisions have been made, um, broadly speaking in the industry, it's been relying on the last two years' data. 
running some sort of algorithm against it, figuring out whatever worked and trying to do more of that. Okay. Um, and that is inherently limited uh, in a world of digitally connected commerce with price visibility and the ability now to efficiently reach folks at scale and experiment. So whatever site does is maybe a little bit different from a sort of traditional promotions optimization company or, or a pricing analytics firm is um, the idea of automating price experiments using machine learning to be able to constantly be testing new things. Okay, and how does that work? So, so and especially from us from an omni-channel perspective, sure. how does that work? Double click into that for us, for the listeners, in terms of like, as you start to think about the dynamics of an omni-channel operation, those stores and dot-com, where do you fit in there? Exactly, so there's a number of dist different distribution and redemption vehicles, and that's growing every day. Uh, we knew when we started Eversight that the market wasn't in its final mature state. Um, so to give you a sense, when we started in 2015, yeah. Uh, digitally connected commerce, a 14% of grocery trips involve someone pulling out a smartphone or touching a, a desktop computer before they shop. So it's basically like nothing. But we thought 14% is like a terrible number if you're trying to like move big trade funds at scale. But it's an amazing number if you're trying to learn what to do to inform everybody else. That's like the single greatest experimentation platform that's existed in the whole of human history. <laughs> you think, right, right? Think about it. Like yeah. if you have 14% of all shoppers, <laughs> you can now reach individually and you can run really cool tests. So. Um, basically, we've, we've created a generalizable platform that can plug into kind of whatever. So when we think of Omnichannel, we think of whatever it is that you're, wherever you're reaching the shopper, we've got a way to sort of test with them. So um, for most grocers, that's the physical shelf. Mm -hmm. So it's going to sound a little silly. But what we do is we take paper price tags, and you put a lower price in some stores and a higher price in some others. And it turns out the paper tag process is really efficient. Retailers can handle that. <laughs> so you can basically, with machine learning, create a series of statistically independent designs where you take a price zone, you know, a bunch of stores that are priced the same, take a, take a product, drop the price in a couple stores, raise the price in a couple stores, keep the rest of the stores the same. Do the same thing for the second product in the category, the third product, the fourth, until you have an orthogonal array or statistically independent design where everything is lit up as an experiment all at once. And don't have that run and stop, have that just run forever. So uh, what we're doing is dynamic pricing, if you want, uh, there's air quotes for those of you listening. <laughs> air quotes at home. Um, dynamic <laughs> pricing, but it's not dynamic, dynamic pricing in like a nonsensical way that creates a really disruptive shopper experience in consumables. It's dynamic pricing in the sense that we're taking advantage of the fact that you have stores to learn from those stores to figure out how to treat everyone the best possible way. Um, and so for any given shopper in any given store, the prices look mostly the same as they did last week. And the amount of changes are minimal, and there just may be a price point up or down in a couple of things. But across the store network, you've got this massive reinforcement learning going on that's being powered all the time. And so you're able to make much better decisions around what's really best for the shopper, what maximizes a category, uh, et cetera. That's one application. Um, for brands who don't have stores, right. we do the exact same thing, and we plug into digital media. We'll send different deals to different people on Facebook. Okay. We'll send an offer on a load-to-car loyalty system. Uh, we've worked on receipt marketing or uh, you know, other printers like that with, with coupons. Uh, we've done one-time use promo codes going into websites. Uh, we don't care. The system just plugs into anything with a clean distribution and redemption vehicle, and it runs AI-powered automated experiments. Makes sense. It makes sense. I want to I want to hit on two points. One, that's the first time I think anyone's ever dropped orthogonal Sorry. In, a, in, a, in our podcast. So I, I hope I used it right. I am super pumped about that, actually. So yeah, keep doing that. That's uh -oh. great. I love that stuff. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> balance designs that all, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, no, it's, no, it's awesome. No, we love it. Um, said definitely with admiration. And, um, and then the second piece, because that was really, and, and for the listeners at, that, are, you know, that are at home or in the car or at work, that was actually what led me to want to do this interview to Anna and I wanted to sit down with this interview because I heard you talk about that at Shop Talk last year. And I thought that was a really powerful statement to say, look, you actually 
let's take a retailer size of a Walmart or Target or something with just thousands of stores, and you can actually be running price experiments very quickly and easy, easily, despite the fact that a lot of it is very kind of old school ways of doing business. Totally old school. What are, what are some anecdotes that you can possibly share based on success stories you've seen with companies taking that approach yeah. um, that actually give us a little more elucidation in terms of exactly how all that works and what's involved? Um, so I'll take a Target example. Um, and, and, uh, so we serve brands as well as, uh, as retailers. So this is an example of one of the brands we're working with uh, sells coffee. And uh, they sell boxes of coffee at Target um, for a price. And uh, if uh, you're running experiments, you might learn that offer structures matter. This particular uh, coffee brand turns out that if you just said buy two, get one free, instead of buy a box of coffee at a price, same trade fund, same depth of discount, but you'd sell like 70 plus percent more coffee at Target. Hmm. That's like $7 million for Target uh, on an annualized basis just by swapping it out. That's the proportional share of that for the coffee maker. And um, life's looking pretty good. Uh, if you think about all the SKUs in a target, and you multiply it up, you're talking big money. Um, so you can call this, um, I'm going to detour a little bit on, on your question, Please. Chris, because um, when most people think about promotions, they think of this like um, economics, regression, like price elasticity thing, right? And there's a human on the other end of it. It's a psychology. Here, Just right? to be clear, there's total psychology. So. Um, Promotions are, at least when I went to school, there were four P's in marketing. I'm not sure what happened. Okay? <laughs> yeah. But pricing and promo were, were two of them. Just because they're run by the key account sales teams of a CPG or they're run by the merchants didn't make them no longer promo or in pricing or like marketing levers. Um, so what's the role of marketing? Disrupting habit. So you don't need any fancy analytic. If your promotion doesn't get someone to do something that they weren't otherwise going to do, it didn't work. Okay. So, or you're just giving money away, money away too. They're going to do it anyway. Right. It didn't. Right? It didn't work. So the habit must be disrupted for something to work. So let's look at the standard way that we've decided as an industry how to determine what a good promotion is. Let's take our last two years sales history. Let's figure out all the good ones, circle them, and make sure we repeat them. Right. So what are you left with? Uh, ten for ten yogurt. Uh, you know, two for five ice cream. Um, buy one get one fifty percent off facial skincare. It's not that these are bad promotions. These are the best promotions that have ever existed in the history of the category. That's why everybody runs them every week. Retailers are creatures of habit. Right? Yeah, and so you create wallpaper, and wallpaper doesn't disrupt habit, right? Uh, so um, what we need to do is try different stuff, um, and you know, behavioral economics is maybe an, an interesting framing of that. Um, uh, you know, if you think about behavioral economics, there's a whole social science around learning that people process information differently depending on how it's framed. Um, by the way, as, as a second aside, I once told this to the head of the marketing department at Kellogg. He got very upset to me, uh, upset at me, because he's like, oh. Marketers have been doing this forever. This is a marketing thing. These behavioral economics don't have it right. Um, yeah, we've been doing this for 100 years. I said, well, great. So you've just been outbranded. <laughs> love right? that. So yeah, it was maybe maybe not not the right comment. Um, but but at the core, you know, if you take these offers, um, one thing that artificial intelligence can be really good at is it can decompose the elements of a promotional mechanic and it can recombine new ways of framing that mechanic. So you think about a $10 item for simplicity, a dollar off is not the same as $9, is not the same as buy two, no, get the second all. for eight, yeah. is not the same as buy nine, get one free. Um, 
So uh, an AI engine can actually pick up the patterns to see, is it relevant that it sold the target? Is it relevant that it costs $9? Is it relevant that it used to be a $1 savings offer? Um, and it can recombine all these things to try to find things that are more likely to work. Mm -hmm. And so we've trained a system that allows you to basically, instead of just throwing spaghetti against the wall, right, which no one has time for, um, you're kind of throwing smart spaghetti. Like, uh, so in a pairwise comparison, we can predict the winners of offers even before tests are run on brand new to the world promotions. And depending on the platform, we're right somewhere between 70 and 85% of the time. So that means an engine can systematically innovate Right, and a computer can do it, and and so where's this going to go? It's it's ultimately going to go programmatic, the same way marketing did, where computers are going to decide trade funds, right? Given an amount of trade funds from the vendor, given an objective, go hunt the outcome that's going to maximize the needs of the, the guest or the shopper, as well as all the other um, you know constituencies along the way, and uh, and so we're trying to build that future of the foundation to allow trade spend to move programmatic, uh, dynamic pricing to be maybe not the way that Amazon does it. Um, which works for them. I'm not sure it would work for, for most consumable retailers, but, but in a way that's maybe a more, more empathetic to the way that the consumables are bought. Um, but, but constantly using the, the value of experimentation to make smarter decisions. So the micro-testing is a key portion of that, right? Because totally. that's what it gives you all that data back to be able to run basically like Uber A-B testing almost yes. like all the time, right? How much, I'm curious too, as, as you talked about that, how much of who the consumer is. So even even like a Target or a Walmart, somebody has a lot of stores, how much does who the consumer actually is and where the consumer is matter in terms of the psychological yeah. things that you're testing with that? Like even if you find the answer of buy one or buy one, you know, buy one, get one free is better, let's say. Sure. Is that really better for every consumer or do you start to learn through this micro testing approach that there's actually even subtleties in the psychology of who you're talking to that matter? Which totally. you could never accomplish through the human brain. Exactly. Um, that so right? that's exactly right. The problem is the plumbing isn't there, right? So Same today, most of the targeted, personalized offer mechanics that are out there involve, you know, Excel spreadsheets, access databases, manual QA, loading an offer and hand checking it inside a, you know, a shadow store to make sure that the offer loads right. And until the um, the infrastructure is there to really move it programmatic, it won't be programmatic. There are pockets that you can observe in the digital loyalty space where you, you see anecdotes. Those anecdotes are, are overwhelmingly consulting-oriented projects today. I do see change happening. I think that will change very rapidly. I'm sure someone out there is doing cutting edge stuff already. But um, generally speaking, most money is still one to everybody money. Um, and most of it isn't even digital. Most of it is I stuck a cardboard sign on the right. cap. So, just order of magnitude, about 93 billion in consumer value is passed through trade spend among the top 200 CPGs in the US. Ish, about 3 billion in consumer facing value is passed through all of coupons, digital, paper, everything. Um, I've heard the number seven and said three. I think that includes the fees from the other people, but whatever, whether it's seven or three or even 10, it's, it's, it's still an order of magnitude less than trade spend, right? right. And so, so the real opportunity is unlocking trade spend in a smart scientific way and moving it to personalization. And that's not happening anywhere in this type of retail, but it is happening somewhere else. Where's that? Where? So um, I know we're in grocery shop, and so at the risk of talking about something that sounds completely random, uh, there is a retail industry that was created after the birth of the smartphone that's all completely on the smartphone that is already doing programmatic trade spending. It's called video games. Hmm. So if you look at a Roblox or a Machine Zone, now MZ, you look at um, uh, any of these uh, free-to-play video games you download in apps, they ha they're free, so the base price is free, 
the amount you pay is a promotion, uh, which is to advance your character in some way. You can get an avatar, you can get swords and shields, or... Castles. Star Wars Galaxy right. of Heroes. I played it this morning before awesome. I went to the show. <laughs> it's, it's, this has happened to me every morning Exactly. When I wake up. Yeah. So those loot drops that run in, right? And yeah. at least they've moved away from loot boxes where it used to just be like, buy a box, trust us, you're going to get some stuff you need, and you're like gambling. You literally don't know what it is. Now at least they're transparent, hopefully, in Star Wars. You right, know, you're for sure. Yeah. Force points or whatever, yeah. right? Well, no, it's a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so what's happening is, um, and, and you have to, you have to help me. I don't know the currency in Star Wars, but I assume you're getting like lightsabers and crystals to power them. And yeah, it's purple shards, my friend. Purple shards. Yeah, okay, exactly. Absolutely. So those purple shards. They're not just oh going to you. Um, so what happens is there's a highly parameterized content management system that understands where you are in your gameplay, where other people who are in your gameplay are at, and then your unique behavior. So it turns out that you're, you're kind of a purple shard hoarder. Like, for whatever reason, you need them in the game in a way that someone else doesn't. And so you're in a segment that's been created because... It, whatever, you're using a lot of them right now, or you're at the edge of hitting a new level or something, and so they're dropping a, a promotion. Get me. Yeah. Now, they have no idea who you are. There's 20 million players on that thing. But what they've done is they've created an, an integrated A-B testing infrastructure that is uh, parameterizing all those little elements, and you know sometimes it's um, swords and shields, and sometimes it's hero points, and sometimes it's experience, and sometimes it's um, ship fuel, and sometimes it's purple shards. And um, they're, they're squeezing the balloon to figure out which offers to give you now based on who you are and what you liked before and what you're likely to need and how other people like you have moved. And then as soon as they find what the people like you like, everybody like you gets that offer. And that offer stays until it basically decays. And then, um, then the AI powers up a new set of experiments. And so if you look at like MZ, uh, they're one that I have public data on. Like um, a few years ago, their average paying player was quoted as spending five hundred and thirty dollars on the game. And if you go on uh, LinkedIn and you look at their live operations team, a live operations is what you call a merchant in video game language. The okay. monetization sure. team sure. Uh, is live ops. They have less than ten people in their live ops team per LinkedIn. So you know, twenty million players plus, you know, all running on this 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 backbone engine of, of experimentation. So. Uh, I think that grocery stores can do everything I just described. If you think about it, they have all this data. They have loyal shoppers always coming back. We know where you are in your state of gameplay and what you need because you're the type of person that buys for a large family or you're the type of person that always buys on sale or whatever. So if we can parameterize the, um, the, the experimentation engine, which is what we've done, and we can hook in the plumbing, which is yet to be done, to be clear, to do it at scale, I don't see why we can't have a form of programmatic trade spending that is and not at all dissimilar to the way that you know the trade desk might have modernized marketing. We and I, that's so funny that we got here. This is why I love doing this job. Is because when Ann and I were running the store of the future for Target, one thing we always used to say with another buddy of ours was the way we envisioned omnichannel retail of the future was actually that the consumer is really the main player character in a video game when they awesome. walk into a store. No way. Yeah, no, seriously. It's right. Everything around that main player character are the other characters in the game. So whether it's the fixtures, whether it's the pricing, whether it's the mobile device, whatever is being served up from a content or even in the physical world, that's all of what that is. And so, and what's your game? <laughs> what's my game? Oh, we don't have time for that, let me tell you. Oh, all right, tell me after the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's doing much cooler things than me. But, but yeah, no, that's how we've always thought about it. And so I think, I mean, that's the real, I think, lesson and takeaway from here. And then we'll, we'll kind of kick it over to Anne and she'll do the how millennial are you? But. Uh, yeah, that it's just this is too much for the human brain to comprehend. Totally, there's no way you could do it without AI. And there's ways to think about this using the tools and techniques that you're describing, 
um, they can be really powerful and they can be very powerful in, in small ways very easily and then we get into some of the bigger picture full scale you know multiplayer video games someday I hope so yeah yeah, yeah and that's uh, you know and that um, can be great for consumers I think that's the, that's the interesting well it'd be part. way more fun yeah you know because I mean if you think about it you're bombarded with marketing messages every day that aren't relevant to you like who wants that are you how much are you guys doing in the like social shopping space or are, um, have you got is not that a ton. A so the, the problem with being a startup so there's a bunch of great things about being a startup and I'm really proud of our you know we have a really good glass door rating and you know comparably thinks we're like good and whatever but um, the uh, the challenge of being a startup is you have this really shallow pour in the water right you can right. navigate wherever you want but like you're always subscale so um, we should totally power social shopping the problem is CPGs don't do social shopping and we started our business and CPG stopped and sure. so just pragmatically, there's like someone else is going to get there before us, um, so we don't do much. I mean, we are a Facebook marketing partner, but we use it for like brands like you know Coke and Hershey to run experiments yeah. to figure out what to do at a Target or a Dollar General, not like not to not to do all the like um, the really cool stuff that, that you're seeing in terms of digital like, from discovery to buy. Quickly. Right. Yeah, which which would be awesome, and I, I you know I, I think really highly of um, you know we work closely with Facebook, think really highly of the team there, and, and they're working hard on things like their office product to try to make it. Credible, yeah. In that regard, um, you know, and, and I hope they succeed. Good to um, know. I think in China, there's some really interesting things happening, right? But I don't see that same level of stuff happening here. Yeah, that's fair. That Agreed. makes sense. Well, we're gonna get you out of here on how millennial are you? Are you ready to play? I'm gonna do my best. Okay. Well, the first question we'll start with is uh, when you go shopping at perhaps a grocery store, since we're at grocery shop, are you? using your mobile payment or are you pulling up cash or credit card usually mobile payment all right all right depends on the retailer though Ooh. yeah how so i have no idea i just have a habit in certain ones not in others really it's just habitual i'm I'm on that borderline gen x we got to break the habit so yeah so um so they haven't marketed to you the correct way right a couple of them and a couple of them 100 percent of the time and a couple of them i don't trust it's going to work i don't know why Uh, i think that's fair I, I, I'm with you on that. So, like, using their app you're talking about in that Yeah, instance. well, I mean, I'll, I'll do Apple Pay or whatever, yeah. but, like, I'll do Apple Pay at a, at a place like, um, and I shop everywhere. I do, uh, I'll do Apple Pay at maybe, like, uh, Whole Foods and now, like, a Walgreens. Sure. Like, if I go to another retailer and it does, the POS system looks a little old, yeah. the looks a little crusty. If you know you're going to pull your credit card out. I'm pulling anyway. out my credit card. Yeah. For sure. Fair. Totally fair. Okay. In the last week, how many times have you ordered food or coffee or something of that sort in uh, via an app. Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, <laughs> I have to confess, I don't feed myself. So, uh, not at all. I don't think I've done it a single time. Not wow! Once. I'm wow. highly okay. reliant on the world to take care of me. Otherwise, I'd die in a corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, one last question. If you could only use one social app for the rest of your life, what would it be, and why? Uh, YouTube. Ooh, we've oh, never heard that before. You're, this is a first timer, but I'm not surprised given our most recent I'm a, I'm part a of this conversation. You know, I'm, you know, I don't know about that. Like? No, why do I use YouTube? So, um, I've been really, really fascinated by. I mean, what we'll call in the business um, influencer marketing. What what a human being might call people, right? And um, it's really interesting to see people who are kind of like. I don't know why they do it. I don't imagine you make very good money as a YouTube. I mean, maybe, yes, there's one guy that makes a million bucks, but it's sort of a drug dealer model, right? Like the average YouTuber is really not doing this for the, 
$50 they might make on their on their viral thing. But they really want to go share something they're passionate about with other people and give them advice and share their experiences. And so I view that as a social channel. I comment to the YouTubers. They'll yeah. come back. They invest in these videos they'll create for you. And um, it's, been, it's been very neat for me to watch... Um, Specifically, like folks who have a hobby that I happen to have, and go, um, you know, pursue it um, in, in all the detail. So I do a lot of uh, off-roading, um, which, if you like pricing, chances are you like things like poker, because there's a lot of science, and then there's also a lot of art on top yeah, of it, right? Sure. Um, and off-roading is very similar for me, but it allows me something tactile as opposed to software all day long, because um, you do a lot of work like building up a jeep, getting all the, you know, all the gears oh. right, all the armor, getting all prepared, and then you're yes. about to go someplace where there's no cell service, where something's going to break. And then you're going to figure it out, or you're not going to figure it out, and you're left to your own devices, and you're left to your wits to, to run the art. To figure, like, I understand the breakover angle is X, but at this point, it's muddy, and there's some rain, and you know, this isn't this flat plane. All the variables. Do I yeah. roll or not? You know, mm -hmm. and and so I really enjoy that. And the YouTube community for off-roading is really really cool. So I wow. follow a lot of people who do really interesting things, and I follow them on the trips. I follow them when they're in their garage and they're wrenching, and I, I really enjoy that. That's fascinating. Yeah, well, that's so cool. God, that's why I love doing this because you never know what angles this is going to take. We hit video games, we hit off-roading. There you go. That's my life psychology. right now. So it's been really, it's been a really fun interview. I figured that when we reached out to you that it would be kind of a cool to sit down to do. So, so just to close it up, I mean, you're going to be at a grocery shop. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if you're at the show? Sure. So we have a booth here um, in the 600 row um, for Eversight uh, coming in, or you could find me on LinkedIn. So it's David Moran, M-O-R-A-N. Um, or you can shoot me an email, uh, dmoran at eversightlabs.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I imagine people will be listening to this after the show as well. So, yeah, hit him up. At, email will still work. So we'll email. Link yeah. <laughs> I check my LinkedIn. I'm one of those people that actually replies. So um, I, I, I will reply if you drop me a note. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much, David Moran. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a guest on OmniTalk today. On behalf of Anne and for me too, thank you. And to all of you out there listening, be careful out there. <laughs>